welcome to Sea Light U. My name is Clay, and this is our last official City Light U of the summer. And I say official because we have an unofficial City Light U next week, um, but John will be talking more about that in the announcements, and so uh, you'll definitely get the details on that. It's something you definitely won't want to miss, but this is our first or our last official summer City Light U meeting. And so over the summer, we've actually looked at uh, the difficult sayings of Jesus, right? We have the slide here with the background image I did not choose and do not like. But it looks like Jesus is a girl, and I don't love that. So, but nevertheless, we have talked week after week about the difficult sayings of Jesus, right? And they've been difficult in a multitude of ways, okay? We've had the difficult sayings of which we just kind of read it, and we have no idea what Jesus is talking about. We need to drink his blood, okay? Great, cool, Jesus. All right, we've got the sayings where we don't know what to do with it. Like, okay, you told me this, but now I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, what, why did you say that? And then we've got the sayings to where it's just straight up, like, Jesus, I don't, I don't really like that. I don't want to do that. Um, and then we've had lots and lots of hard sayings of Jesus that have fit into multiple of those categories where it's really confusing, and then you finally know what it means, and you're like, oh, I still don't like it, right? So, uh, but, but what we've shown, I think, over and over, and what I've taken from this series is that when we come across these difficult sayings of Jesus, that the more we dig, the more we mine the depths, the more we realize that these are actually really good sayings of Jesus. Uh, these are things Jesus actually said, the hard things he said, for our good and for our joy, right? They're meant to lead us into um, things we otherwise would have not believed or done. Uh, Jesus is leading us into a type of thriving that would not be possible had he not said those things. Uh, and so while they're hard, whether it's hard to understand or it's hard to just live them out, we find that they lead us into greater joy uh, and greater growth in him. And tonight's message will be actually no different. On the surface, it seems like a really difficult teaching, but as we mind the depths, that we actually see that this is meant to lead us into a greater thriving. And so if you have your Bibles, open them to Luke chapter 9. And if you have your phones, go ahead and uh, power up your YouVersion app or whatever it is you use. So, uh, but before we kind of just jump into that text, uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, just how to read this, this kind of literature in general, because Luke... Uh, is, is the author of this book, and essentially this guy went around as a funded researcher, right? And he was funded to go investigate this Jesus guy, figure out what's going on, because I hear a lot of people talking about him, and come report it back to his, his benefactor, his funder. Um, and so Luke then goes and does that, and he does interviews, he looks at what people are saying, he's uh, probably looking at other things that are written about Jesus and weighing them out. Um, somewhere along the line, he becomes a believer and a follower of Jesus, uh, and then so he compiles all this information about Jesus. Some of it he lived firsthand. Some of it he's, just, he's actually with like guys that are one generation of being with Jesus. He hung out with the apostles. And he, he writes this letter back to this guy named Theophilus, uh, the, his, his funder. And, it, and, it, and he's portraying the story of Jesus. And so what we need to know about Luke is that um, he's, he's getting the deeds and then he's crafting them into a, a, a story that, it, like Luke is a master storyteller in the way he's presenting these things. 
He's not just kind of like throwing things he's heard and facts out there in this like random order. Like when you like listen to a kid talk. Like I have, so my, I have a daughter, right? She's six years old. And most of our conversations just go all over the place, right? Like it just, like we come up and it's like, hey, hey, dad. Yeah. Do you remember on that one day, it was either a Monday or a Wednesday or a Friday, because I know it wasn't Tuesday or Thursday, because on Tuesdays we have uh, UFC like you, and on Thursdays we have uh, city group. So it was probably a Monday or Wednesday or a Friday, but Mondays I used to have gymnastics, but I got my ears pierced so we couldn't be in gymnastics. And so then summer hit, and now it's like, we're not going to go back to gymnastics because we're moving. And so now we have Wednesdays open, so it could have been a Wednesday. But on either that Monday or Wednesday or Friday, you didn't have work, even though you normally have work on those days. And so we went to the pool, and we had our puddle jumpers, and you played keep away with us. And then uh, Cohen got sunburned on his shoulders, but not here because his life jacket covered that. And then afterwards... Uh, Cohen kept climbing on me. I kept going under. And so uh, you told us we had to get out of the pool, and we went home, and then you gave us an ice cream sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I kind of remember that. Well, can I have one? <laughs> like, oh, that's, that's really cute and really unhelpful, right? But that's not at all what Luke is doing. Like every story, every saying, every detail, Luke put in there for a reason and for a parti- in a particular order to kind of point us to a theological truth. He's not a six-year-old throwing out facts. He is, a, he is a master storyteller guided by the Holy Spirit. And this is, uh, and he, and he, as he crafts this, we, we need to not just look at what's being said and what happened, but what's look, what is Luke doing with what's being said? Luke's not only telling what happened, he's telling it in a way that reveals the meaning of what happened. Like he's not just saying this happened, he's saying this is the meaning of what happened and how he presents it. And so that's kind of how we need to approach a text in, in order to understand some of these difficult sayings. And so what we see is that Luke spent like the first nine chapters of his book setting up this identity of Jesus. Every story is focusing on who Jesus was and what he was all about, uh, and what was important to Jesus, what did he come to do, and it all culminated in this revelation of him as the Messiah of God, right? This is in 920, if you want to look it up, where, where Peter kind of says, Jesus, I believe that you're uh, the Messiah of God. In, in Matthew, he says, Christ, the living God, or something like that. Um, this, I believe you're the chosen one of Israel. You're the one that's to come, and then Jesus responds, and he commands them to, uh, to tell no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer, or he commanded them to tell no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. So he, he spent all this time, Luke spent all this time, showing how Jesus built up this identity of, This is who I am, and now this moment starts his trek to Jerusalem. This long journey back to Jerusalem where he's, he's headed there and he's ultimately headed to the cross and headed to his death. He's like, great, you got who I am, now let's walk to Jerusalem. And it, he did a ton of teachings and healings and stuff along the way. But his face is always set um, at, towards Jerusalem at that point. And it's right after this that we get um, Jesus talking about the cost of following him. It's right after this that we hear 
uh, to pick up your cross and follow him. So Jesus is really concerned with like, all right, I'm going now. Are you coming with? And that's the context for what's going on in this passage. So let's read Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. So three different guys come up and say, like, Jesus, we, and all are asked to follow or say they're going to follow. Like, that's the key that repeats in all three of them. Like, we, we're going to follow you. And Jesus then kind of takes these would-be disciples and says, are you really sure? And almost, like, tries to talk them out of it in this really, like, bizarre way. Like, the first, I, like, I remember the first time I read this, I'm like, Jesus, you're kind of cold, right? Or, or really impatient, like, no, no, we got to go, we got to go. Like, what's going on there? Like, first time I read this, I'm just thinking, like, Jesus, chill. Get some lavender tea and calm down, right? They're coming at you with a five, and you're dialing it up to 11. Just take it down. Jesus, like, we want to follow you. Well, you're going to have to become homeless, okay? Jesus, I, uh, let me go bury my father first. Let the dead bury the dead. Sheesh. All right, well, can I at least go say goodbye to No. Anyone who looks back is unworthy, right? So it's, it's super easy to read this in that way, and it seems like Jesus is just kind of cold and not, like not concerned with these people, which is, is so far from what Jesus is, is actually like as presented in even just the book of Luke and how Luke's presenting him. Uh, so we need to ask, what's Luke doing with these stories? Why did he feel that these were important stories to include in the Bible, and why did he share them here? And so let's look at the first would-be disciple. Okay, I'm going to reread 57 and 58. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So this would-be disciple expresses interest in following Jesus, and Jesus responds by pointing to the reality of what he's signing up for. So, like, the, the point one here is that following Jesus is a call to sacrifice. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, son of man, God on earth, has nowhere. And this is true on a couple of levels. Like, first off, Jesus was a homeless man. So when you go and you follow a homeless man, like, the expectation is not that we're headed back to his mansion, right? We're, if you follow a homeless man, he's probably not headed to a house, the expectation is if you follow a homeless man, you're signing up to be homeless. So Jesus is uh, at, the, at the front being like, okay, you need to know what you're signing up for. If you're following me, I mean, foxes have holes, birds have nests, and I have nothing. So, and then, I don't know if they may have been thinking like, Jesus has come, is this radical, he's going to overthrow the government, and then we're going to get good status, and Jesus is just kind of cutting that out. He's removing that category of like following him and, re, and entering into comfort. A call to follow Jesus is a call to sacrifice. And at the same time, Jesus is the Messiah, like the chosen one, the king, rightful king of Israel, stepped down into earth. 
And what we see is that the birds have nests, the foxes have holes, and the king of Israel is going to be rejected. He's the king with no city to rule. Right? He should be coming to take his rightful throne of Israel, and he's headed towards Jerusalem, not in order to take that throne, but in order to be rejected. Are you sure you want to follow me? Jesus wanted to be clear that the call to follow him was a call to sacrifice. Jesus existing in all eternity with God, in perfect love, perfect unity, perfect relationship, enthroned in heaven, chose to give all that up in order to enter into human history. Like, this is a profound truth that we need to kind of wrap our heads around. Like, Jesus, and it, like, uh, Philippians 2 describes that he literally did not count equality with God something to be grasped. Though he had it, it's not something that you cling on to, but instead he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, being humbled, he humbled himself, being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus may, is making clear from the start what pursuing him entails. A call to follow him is a call to enter into his lifestyle, one that is completely void of self-service, that all your status, all, your, all the value that you have is something that is meant to be laid down in order to serve. This is what Jesus is asking us to walk into, he, and he has no desire to kind of trick people into following him. We see that at the start. Like if he, This is like the worst campaign ever. Right? Follow me, you'll be homeless. Like, that's not how you pitch things. But Jesus wanted to be clear at the start that following him is a, is a wonderful invitation, but it's an invitation in sacrifice. We're not meant to slip sacrifice in the back door, right? It does nobody any good. It simply creates disciples that are likely to fall away when they say, in full honesty, this is not what I expected. This is not what I signed up for. Like, I've, I've heard people say that, and, and unfortunately, sometimes it's true. They haven't had Jesus, uh, somebody read this passage to them and have, like, Jesus is like, oh, oh, are you sure you want to follow me? There's cost involved. There's sacrifice involved. He's calling us to enter into the same type of sacrifice. Now, you may not be homeless. You may not be a homeless single rabbi. That might not be what Jesus calls you into, right? You may not be signing up for murder. Like, fingers crossed, not signing up for murder, uh, but Philippians 2 say that Jesus did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. The call to follow Jesus is a call to enter into this servant lifestyle. It's a call to sacrifice. Now, likewise, when we preach the gospel, when we call others to follow Jesus, we cannot front load the gospel with blessing and slip the sacrifice in the back door. Right? It's not like like those medication pitches you hear on TV, right? Where you, you, It's like if we show this woman riding a bicycle, maybe they won't hear all of the side effects that's going to come and hit them, right? Like we just show somebody like playing catch with a kid, and it's like following Jesus may require self-denial, self-sacrifice, self-discipline, loss of friends, loss of family, loss of, loss of status, and may even result in social, if not physical, death. Wait, what? No, nothing, nothing. Just... Keep looking at the kid on the bicycle, like right? That's not how we preach the gospel. Jesus didn't model that for us, and that's not what we do. We make very clear that this wonderful invitation into true life is going to be a life of servanthood and sacrifice. Following Jesus leads to joy and thriving and is a call to sacrifice. So point two, 
Second, second person here is that following Jesus is a call to prioritize. To another, Jesus said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So that seems, that's a hard saying, right? That's difficult. Because I don't know what you picture, but I picture like this guy at his father's bedside. His father's just kind of laboring to breathe. He breathes his last breath. There's this flat line sound like, just like, all right, let's go. <laughs> like, right, we done here? Uh, well, can I at least bury him? Nah, leave the body. Somebody else come take care of this. Like, right? It seems Jesus is kind of cruel. And not only is that just like technologically inconsistent, but it's, it's totally out of line with Jesus' character. Jesus constantly uphold honor your father and mother. He was one that had compassion on people. This is not uh, Jesus being like cold, like, eh, he's dead anyway, whatever. What do I care? Okay? This is not who Jesus is. And what we see in texts outside the Bible is that the burial process is so far different than what it is now, right? So at that time, it was, it was shameful to leave the body out overnight, so immediately they would put it in a tomb, right? They would, they would close the tomb, like, and they would wait for the body to decompose. And there was like a week of mourning, and they would continue to mourn and wait till about a year in, they would then open it after the body had decomposed, and they would take the bones and they'd put them in an ossuary, which is just basically a bone box, and then they would, because it's for easier for storing, less expensive, and so that's kind of how they do it. And so I think, I'm, I'm comfortable jumping to conclusions here and saying, like, I think this man had the whole process involved. Like, let me, let me finish this whole burial thing with my dad, and then we can move on. I don't think the man's standing over the body being like, can I just, I'm like, no, no, come on, <laughs> right? So Jesus, so I think a, a much better way of seeing this is Jesus saying, like, man, instead of waiting for flesh to, to decompose, go preach the kingdom of God and bring dead souls to life. Like, you're, you're concerned with, like, this big process, like, like come on, man, we got to go. There's, there's more important things than than rituals and, and length of, of waiting. We, there's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of prioritization. Now, while Jesus was not requiring to dishonor his father here, we still need to deal with the fact that this is a heavy text. Like, he is still calling him. To, he is still saying, like, listen, the call to follow me, that, that is prioritized above this call to, to bury your father. And burial was super important in the ancient Jewish mindset. So for him, like this is, so burial of your father is like the highest priority thing, which is why I think Luke shared this particular story. If if following Jesus is prioritized over top of burying your father in that culture, there is nothing then that takes precedent over following Jesus. It is of the, the highest priority. And probably would have been almost a semi-controversial claim. Like, it's pretty radical. Like, anything in life, anything at this point, prioritization comes to following Jesus. So what does this mean for us? It doesn't simply mean, like, skip your father's funeral to come to City Light U. In fact, if that was you tonight, you have my permission to leave. Like, you don't need to be here. Right? This isn't a text saying that Jesus is, is better than your dad. Like, that's not at all what Luke's claiming. 
what Luke's claiming is that the call to follow Jesus takes utmost priority in your life. Because like, I, know, I know myself, and I know that I have this ability to like, have a checklist for my day of these things that are just on repeat. Like if I get these things in, I feel like, all right, I accomplished something today. Right? It's like, all right, I worked out. Right? I avoided carbs. I, you know, I read my Bible. And I, and I use these to judge, like, was this a good day? And I think the call here is for me to, to add, not just like add first priority, follow Jesus, then don't eat carbs. Like, that's not, that's not like, but instead that the call to follow Jesus is the grid by which everything flows through. Did these things on my checklist, does this add to Jesus' call to preach the, the kingdom of God? To further the kingdom, to see this world transformed, like to see myself turned into somebody that Jesus is going to continue to use and work through? Like, am, I, am I more like Jesus? Am I interacting with the world in a Jesus-like way? Like that, that's, it's a complete reorienting of your priority list. It's the grid by which your checklist matters. And so the, the call to follow Jesus is a call to prioritize. All right, so let's move on to the third guy. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one puts his hand to the plow and look, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This may be the one that I think seems the most cruel, right? Hey, Jesus, can I say goodbye? Nope, we're going. Really not, like, I, so I don't think Jesus is against goodbye waves here, right? And actually, a weird kind of obscure parallel text of this is in, uh, is in 1 Kings, where Elijah and Elisha were like, it was, it was, Elijah called Elisha to come follow him as his successor and prophet, to be a prophet, and Elisha goes, can I go say goodbye? And you know what he did? He went and said goodbye. And he actually like held like a, like slaughtered the, off, the, the oxen and like he had like a ceremony and then went and followed him. And there was no hint in scripture that he did anything wrong. This isn't like Jesus hates goodbyes. So what's going on here? And this is why it's so important that we got to be thinking about what's Luke trying to do here. Because um, when we follow Jesus, we must... Uh, Okay, so Jesus puts forth this idea that, that following him is like plowing, right? You, you grab the plow, you start moving forward, and what's really bad if you're plowing is for you to look back, right? Because you're going to go slow, it's going to slow down the ox, you're going to veer off course. He has this idea that this man, apparently, Jesus knowing the man's heart, knows that this desire, there's more entailed in this man's desire to go say goodbye than what we see on the surface, Jesus is saying, like, you, I know what you're actually doing here is you have, this, you have this constant desire to look back. You're unwilling to kind of let go of this, this old way of living in order to follow me. Like the call, I think what he's getting at here is the call to follow Jesus is a call to focus on him. This man had this, this desire to focus. I mean, yeah, I'm doing this thing, but I'm also got to make sure things are all right over here. I gotta constantly look back to this old way of living. I don't I don't know that I quite want to give that up. And this is what's implied in apparently Jesus' reply. The call to follow Jesus, one must constantly be moving forward. Jesus left no category for following him and the rest of your life looking the same. 
That's not a category in Jesus' mind. That I can just kind of add him to the list of things I do and then call it good. The call to follow Jesus is a, is a radical reorientation of everything. The call to follow Jesus is to make him king and have precedent over all. The invitation of Jesus, of, of inviting Jesus to mess with your life as your king implies that things are going to change. It implies that, and, and, and in the scriptures we see this because the, the call to follow him, to place him as king, is, is us saying like, Jesus, you love me too much to let me stay the way I am. You, leave me, you love me too much for me to continue to struggle with these things. You, leave me, you love me too much to leave me uh, trying to flounder my way through these relationships, trying to figure out how to interact with people, trying to figure out what, what's my purpose in life, what's going on, to continue to walk in these things that are leading to death and destruction. Jesus, you love me too much to not let me thrive. And to follow Jesus without a change in your life is not a category that Jesus leaves on the table. It's difficult to move forward if you're constantly looking back. And if you... Jesus basically says that um, if, you're a how, if you're a half-hearted plowman, you're not really a plowman at all. You're just a dude messing around with a plow, right? You're in the field. You're messing around with it. You're kind of making zigzags. You're looking around. Like, you're not plowing. You're not following me. The invitation of Jesus is to focus on Jesus. Um, Francis Chan does this great bit on following Jesus with your heart. Like, what does that mean? Like, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to obey with my heart. I'm not going to do anything, but I'm just going to say, like, sure, I like that. Jesus says, go love your neighbor. And you're like, yeah, I'm doing that. No, like, actually, go do that. Like, go. <laughs> like, So it's easy with this one. We, we need to be careful because there's this... This way we could kind of get off track is by, by saying, like, you need to, um, by the amount that you change, and, and changing is actually what it means to follow Jesus, which is, which is actually kind of missing the point, right? So the gospel, the good news of Jesus is that Jesus came, lived this perfect life, he set his face to Jerusalem, walked there, and entered into this death on our behalf. He died that we may be forgiven of our rebellion, forgiven of our, uh, our, our like pushing God away and, and creates a way for us to be made right with God, to enter into this new way of living where we actually live in unison with God and that actually God lives then in us and works and moves and changes us on the inside. And it's not by anything we did, like it's not... You were awesome, and so Jesus said, I needed you on my team. It's simply that Jesus says, come. Come, and I'll make you, I'll bring you to places you never would have gone. I'll make you into something you never would have been. It's an invitation to walk with Jesus, to have the Holy Spirit living in us and changing us. But the invitation is still an invitation of change. To reorient your life to follow Jesus is going to have some change, but it's not the change that makes Jesus accept you. But instead, the invitation for Jesus to be Lord, that begins to work and change in us. And that's super important to make that, that distinction there. Because it's the invitation of Jesus to come follow him, to come participate in what he's doing in the world, is a great gift in and of itself. It's not because we're awesome and he needs us to do some things. It's an invitation to walk with him. It's a great invitation 
of, the God, of Jesus, and it will result in a changed life. He loves us too much to leave us as we are and desires so much for us that he invites us to, into the work of redeeming the world. But the one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. So, so this is not only the last message of the summer, but this is my actually, actually my last message of City Light U altogether. Right? For those of you who don't know, in like two and a half weeks, I'm just going to get in a car and drive to California and live there. So uh, it's going to be something with my two kids driving all the way there. But uh, So yeah, so I'm, I'm out after this. And, and as I reflect on my time, one of the things that I appreciate the most is being a part of this team. Like It has been so good for my soul to get to sit and dream with these people that have these desires to see Jesus move in incredible ways throughout the city. Like We're constantly thinking, like, how can Jesus use our church? How can Jesus use this ministry? How can we uh, reach people on UNO's campus to get them to step into true life with Jesus? How can we mobilize the students in this room to take the gospel to every nook and cranny of this city, to take um, the good news of Jesus to these countries where they're just living in just, just sad darkness? We're constantly thinking, what would it look like to invite people? Like, Jesus is redeeming the whole world. One day this is going to happen in full, and he invites us into this growing new way of living, this growing new kingdom all around us to participate in the renewal of the world. There's a great invitation on the table, and we just want people to step into that. And so what we do is we just pray and, and just honestly desire to have people like you, college students, that just have this one-track focus, this one-track mind of like, I want to see the gospel move forth. I want to see people come to know Jesus. I want to see people walk with Jesus, live life with Jesus. I want to see thriving just kind of spread around our city, around these other countries and nations, that people that are willing to lay down their life to serve these other nations. Like, I want Jesus' call here to all three of these guys is to follow him, and it's going to take them places that are uncomfortable. It's going to require sacrifice. You're going to need to prioritize. You're going to need to focus on Jesus. And, and our prayer is that, um, like, Luke intentionally, this is brilliant, he intentionally did not tell you how any of these three men responded. how they respond? He left that off because the invitation to follow Jesus is the same invitation to us. And so as we pray, we're just honestly just um, desiring to see you guys with these same questions, with these same, like, oh, can I really follow Jesus into that? See, is it really worth it to make it my, my main priority, my main focus to strive after? And we just pray that you guys respond positively. Yes, I want to follow Jesus. Yes, I want to take this invitation into renewing the world, this grand scheme of the gospel moving forward, seeing people cross over from death to life. I want to see this, and we just want to be a team that gathers people and pushes them towards us. It's a, the call to follow Jesus. Right? We want people... Uh, that aren't looking to waste their 20s uh, playing Fortnite and trying to get a boyfriend, right? We want people that want more for that in their 20s. We want to see God use you guys. We want to see God do great things, but it's a call to sacrifice, it's a call to prioritize, and it's a call to focus. But the call of Jesus is an invitation to a life of meaning and a life that matters.